the Responsible Investing Podcast by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Hello, you are listening to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Responsible Investing Podcast, discussing all things relating to sustainable and responsible investing. I am your host, Amanda Young. Now, my guest today is Chris Dimitriou. And now Chris recently took on a new role of CEO of UK EMEA and the Americas spanning half our global reach. He is a member of the Global Executive Committee, as well as other leadership committees across the firm. Now, Chris joined the firm in 2013 and moved to the US a year later to help lead the Americas business. And after seven years in Philadelphia, he is moving back to London in his new role. Prior to joining Aberdeen Standard Investments, Chris worked for SVG, a private equity investor, and at Ernst & Young. He is a chartered accountant by background and has a BA in politics from the University of York. Chris is clearly adventurous, taking time to live in different countries. And in fact, he was so adventurous, he lived in Tripoli in Libya for a year, which really must have been an extraordinarily interesting experience. Chris, it is great to have us with you today. And as I am a Lancaster alumni, it makes it even more of a pleasure to welcome a fellow War of the Roses competitor. And for those who are listening who aren't up to their speed in history, head to Google. There may be just a little bit of rivalry between York and Lancaster. Chris, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome, Amanda. Thank you very much for having me and um, and commiserations for being on the wrong side of the, the <laughs> Roses relationship so many times. Oh, well, you know, there's their future years still to come uh, to play this one out. Um, Now, let's start with hearing a little bit about you as a person. Perhaps you can touch on why personally you feel committed to sustainability issues. Sure, thank you. Well, as you mentioned in your introduction, I have lived in the US for the last seven years, having grown up in London. I moved to the US with my wife, Anna, who I actually met at York University. Mm-hmm. And um, when the opportunity came up, we really felt that we would regret not taking the opportunity to live abroad in the US more than we would yeah. regret taking it. And uh, and so jumped at the opportunity to, to move. At that time, it was um, uh, on the basis of a strict two-year secondment, but like most uh, international assignments, um, two two years or seven seven years and three kids later, we're moving back to back to London. And um, after the last fifteen months of COVID and and being away from family, we're very much looking forward to getting back into closer proximity. Um, I come from a family of of sort of public school teachers or state school teachers, as we call them in the UK. And through that background, I've sort of seen and experienced firsthand how. Um, how the the pension landscape for you know public servants uh, across the board is how is so challenged um it's my mum has had to see sort of adjustments to the to the pension that she thought she'd signed up to having spent a career working in teaching and uh, other members of my family sort of live with the uh, expectation or fear that similar uh, similar things will happen and what i really love about the sustainable investing agenda is it's one of the few things that forces a long-term perspective. I think this retirement gap that we see uh, evolving and growing across the board is a real a real crisis, future crisis that we don't spend enough time talking about and, and thinking about. And, and it's driven by the short-term election cycles in politics and short, you know, the, the inherent pull to the short-term for corporations uh, to deal with public reporting. 
and I just I love love um, for someone who's from a family of people that have worked uh, entire their entire lives in public service as an example, um, to have their retirement sort of threatened by uh, the short term approach to um, the pension landscape. I, I love the sustainability agenda because it just forces that longer term view, and that can only be a good thing for investors. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but living in the US can be quite different from Europe. Um, and I'm really keen to get your geographic perspective of how responsible investment has evolved across the pond, so to speak. You know, during your seven years in the US, how, how has the landscape changed over this period of time? Well, I think there are probably two elements to the US's evolution. Mm-hmm. One is the policy agenda. And, and that's, you know, I've, I came here at the tail end of the Obama administration. We've had the Trump administration and now the Biden administration. And so you've got three vastly different um, approaches to sustainability, climate change, and the policy agenda around and the regulatory agenda around those issues. Um, And I think that's made it quite difficult for investors and institutions to sort of find their feet around a consistent approach to uh, responsible investing. On the flip side, you've had a customer and employee agenda which has been very, very powerful at at driving companies and practices forward in the absence of that clear and coherent and consistent government policy agenda. You know, I think very specifically to, uh, in in the US, I think you've had uh, the the S of ESG, if you like, the social agenda coming to the fore in the last 12, 24 months. And and a lot of that has really been driven by, by the view that Customers and employees are insisting on companies and uh, and institutions in prioritizing sustainability and responsible investing and responsible practices in the way companies run their businesses and that's actually been more powerful in the US in in the short term I would say than the the policy agenda which has just been fragmented. And that's interesting because it's certainly at the US and activism you know have a, a long history so the fact that that's coming forward is, is you know really interesting in terms of driving that. Maybe you can touch a little bit on how conversations with clients in the US have evolved as they start to navigate the growing interest in responsible investment and integrating ESG issues into portfolios. Sure. Well, I remember quite soon after I moved out here to the US, I was working with the team. We were planning a a roadshow. We were co-sponsoring with a publication, a series of conferences for financial advisors across various different parts of the US. And we were we wanted as our sort of cornerstone content to be ESG investing and bringing our credentials as an organization to the fore. And I remember sitting in a meeting and being very surprised by the publication, as they said, that's going to work brilliantly on either coast, but we can't do that in uh, in the middle of the country or in parts of the country like you know Texas, where we had some some events. So not that long ago sort of within the seven years that i've been here there, there was just a real sense that you you didn't even want to talk about esg in some parts of the country because it just wasn't nowhere near high enough for up the priority list and in fact could even be considered um you know an antagonistic topic in in small in, in small pockets that has very much changed i think that the the prioritization of responsible investing is far more consistent with clients across the board and we are heavily engaged in conversations, particularly around the transition to net zero from a carbon standpoint with large institutions across the entirety of the country. So I think, again, that that customer and employee agenda and um, stakeholder pressure outside of government and regulations um, has, has really forced more of an equilibrium 
there's still more engagement on either coast, but um, far more consistency in the engagement from cl in client conversations across the board now. That's interesting. So, you know, you see a, a dichotomy even in the US, but there are obviously big differences in approach to responsible investing across the globe, different regions of the world, from Europe to the US to APAC. What's your view on these differences? Um, and do you think that these different trends will continue or will see a convergence? Yeah, there's de definitely clear, clear differences driven by different cultures, different regulatory agendas, different forms of government. Uh, I think what, what we would see, and this is an oversimplification, but you know, as a, as a long-standing investor in, in emerging markets and as an investor that has had ESG as a prominent part of our investment process for so long, you know, historically, that's been an overweight on the G, on the governance aspects of investing in emerging markets in countries where you know, perhaps there's more more risk of intervention um, there, than than in others, and that's that was a a foundation of our of our ESG investing in emerging markets. Clearly, in Europe, we've seen more of an acceleration of uh, of the E, the environmental considerations, and a more accelerated regulatory agenda with you know, SFDR and um, and other evolutions in the regulatory agenda that's put the E at forefront. And then as I sort of alluded to in the US, I would say that the S, the social agenda, has really taken some prominence over the course of the last couple of years in the US. And I, I'm probably more engaged at a corporate level um, with my peers across the industry as well as other industries in talking about how we how we incorporate and advance the social agenda both within our organizations and within the societies in which we operate. As a, as a more prominent pillar of ESG than the others, so that's a dramatic oversimplification. But it's a sort of an overview of where the where, where the differences come. I think that the point around the customer and employee agenda is the thing that's going to create more consistency. Global corporations um, and you know global yeah. trade is just going to mean that even though you're starting from a place of differentiation and fragmentation from a policy standpoint and from a cultural standpoint, I really do think the power of the consumer. And the power of of the employee base and the demands that now they're now putting on corporations um, and institutions to advance the responsible investing agenda is the thing that's going to create more consistency across the globe. I'd like to pick up on on something you were talking about that as somebody who is a senior person in a business, you're closely working with our CEO to steer the direction of the firm. Perhaps you can touch on some of the challenges you see of embedding responsible investing into our business practices. So first and foremost, as an, as an asset management firm or as an investment-oriented uh, firm, we, we have to practice what we preach. So we recognize the, the importance of that and the, the hypocrite risk is huge, right? The, to, to go out and preach to companies that we invest in, that this is how you should behave. These are the policies we expect you to, to implement and not be doing those thing, our, things ourselves is, you know, we'd be, we would be right to be picked up on that if we Absolutely. were doing it. So yeah. we take it very, very seriously at the corporate level because we see it as a, uh, not only the appropriate way to run our organization, but as a business imperative. One of the things we've done well, I think, is making sure that this conversation is happening at, around the executive table and the board table. Whilst we do clearly have departments and employees who are focused on a full-time basis on shaping the agenda for our corporation, the, the discussion, the debate, uh, the decision-making is, is happening at the executive table because that's creating the buy-in to enable us to then sort of actually implement policies in an authentic way. I'll take you know, carbon offsetting and, and the re reducing 
our emissions as an organization, one of our key emissions as a people business, as a global business is our travel emissions. One of the challenges we face is we clearly are very keen and, and feel like it's important to make sure that we reduce our carbon footprint through travel. But of course, when you take that down a level and then you talk to the distribution team who need to go and see clients and the investment teams that need to go and visit companies, it's very easy to talk about these things. It's much harder when, when you say, okay, so what are we actually going to do about it? And how are, you, how are we going to reorganize our business and, re, and change the way we work and the way we engage to enable us to do that? And, and what that, that forces us to confront the challenges that all of our investee companies are. And, and I think that that enables us to be more authentic in the way in which we engage with those uh, and empathetic with the way we engage with those portfolio companies. Sorry, I was going to say, I I think that there's a, you know, an element of needing to change mindsets here. Uh, Absolutely. And that's, that's why the engagement at the executive committee level is so important because if there isn't buy-in and commitment at the executive level, then what chance do we have of the rest of the organization buying into those behavioral changes that, uh, that are really necessary. And as a business that engages very proactively with portfolio companies as a, as an active investor, we need to we need to as I say we need to be seen to be practicing what we preach but we also need to be able to do that in a in a in an informed and empathetic way and that comes from doing the hard work ourselves i'm keen to touch because this sort of leads into something that i know is a topic close to your heart and and that is of diversity this has obviously been a very topical um area for the last <laughs> uh 12, 18 months. As a senior leader in a FTSE 100 company, can you tell us why diversity is important to you? Yeah, I'm at a, at a personal level. I'm very cognizant of the fact that I'm a, um, I'm white. I'm male. I'm from a, a lower middle class upbringing, and therefore, my experiences in life um, and the barrier I, I've I've benefited from an absence of impediments. Uh, that other people face on on a regular basis, whether it be because of your gender or because of um, your mm. ethnicity or socioeconomic status, and and that doesn't mean I haven't worked hard in my career, and it doesn't mean that you know I don't deserve some of the success I've had in my career. But the reality is, I've had an easier path through the absence of those impediments. I think as a senior leader in an organisation, it's important to to recognize and have some humility about that. I think it's then important to do two things. One is try and try and make sure that you're implementing a culture and a policy agenda that's doing your best to limit and eliminate those impediments for, um, for your employees in the organization you run. And secondly, that you're using the power of the organization to advance that agenda in the communities more broader, more broadly that we, that we operate in. And the other thing that I think really struck me in the last 12, 15 months, if I go back to George Floyd's murder, um, living in Philadelphia at that, at that time, we saw a lot of activism. We saw protests and rioting in, in the streets. And it was, it was very visceral for our employees. And it really, that, that forced us to have some really honest and frank conversations internally about what we were doing well and what we needed to do differently and how we needed to accelerate and bring the DNI agenda to the forefront. But what it really taught me was how commercially can I possibly have a successful business if I don't have an employee base that is engaged and 
and committed and, uh, and advancing? And how can you possibly have that if you don't have uh, a, a culture that creates inclusion and, uh, and is addressing uh, those impediments? And so um, it, was a, it was a very eye-opening experience being in the US over the last 18 months in that respect. Oh, it's uh, great to know that you're trying to bring that into your management and taking us forward. So thank you from, from me personally, as, as I believe this is a really important issue for all of us to be addressing. Now, at this stage of my podcast, I like to seek a little inspiration on sustainability matters from my guests. This has come in the past in the form of books, films, speeches, and even teachers. What would you like to share with us that has inspired you? Yeah, it falls on quite nicely from the, the DNI topic. I clearly felt over the last 12 months I needed to do a lot of work myself on my own, own perspective. So I've been reading a lot of materials around diversity and inclusion. And one of the books that really struck me was a book called Rebel Ideas by Matthew Said. And it really is focused on uh, cognitive diversity and the importance of cognitive diversity in, in teams and in decision making and in the impact that that can have on on businesses and it's just a very straightforward but powerful um, argument and articulation of the importance of diversity in organizations uh, in all forms. Well that's that's fantastic and I add that to my as I've said in the past my growing list of, of inspiration from my various guests so thank you for that Chris. Now finally uh, what do you think the next big sustainability thing is to think about? maybe specifically for us as investors, but for you personally as a senior leader? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if it's the, the next big thing or the current big thing that's only going to get bigger, but I, it really is the, the transition to the low carbon economy. I think that's going to really fuel a lot of excellent investment opportunities for our teams to back companies that are doing the right, the right thing in, in that respect. I think it's going to drive a lot of the executive decision making and the way in which we work and operate as an organization uh, going forward to deliver our part against it. I think this is a this is a topic that in some parts of the world we're really only getting getting started on and the government policy agenda together with the corporate agenda is only going to going to grow. So I think it's a, it's, it's a huge opportunity for for investors. It's a great place for us as an active investment manager to to engage with, with with companies and deliver value for for clients, and it's a great opportunity for us as a company to evolve our practices to be a really modern business um, that attracts and retains top talent. So yeah, we're excited by and committed to that opportunity. Thank you so much, Chris. That brings us to the end of our time together today. I've absolutely loved hearing your views on how sustainability matters are different across the world, as well as uh, your personal perspective. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us and we wish you all the very best as you make your way back across the pond to the UK. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks very much for having me and look forward to seeing you in person soon. You've been listening to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Responsible Investing Podcast, aiming to bring you all insights into responsible investment. Thank you all for tuning into our podcast. We really do appreciate you listening to us and you can find all of our previous episodes on our website, SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Until our next podcast, goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Responsible Investing Podcast brought to you by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more great content, visit AberdeenStandard.com.
This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation, or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.